Well, good morning, Church of the Valley. Hey, that wasn't too bad. All right. Well, it's really, uh, it's really an honor to be able to preach the Word of God uh, to you today, and I'm really excited to get into this passage. Uh, but before we do, I just want us to pray one more time. Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the wonderful gift uh, that your Word is to us and to the world. Lord, would you guide uh, this time to glorify you? Would it be uh, all you, uh, none of me? Uh, but uh, I also ask for each person who's here uh, and maybe watching online that they would not only be informed by your word, but transformed by it. I pray these things in your precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, well, as we get into a passage like we're in today, it, it's really a continuation of a story uh, that we uh, looked at last week that Pastor Tim preached on. And, and, and as we get into this passage, because it's a focus of our church, and really I think it should be a focus of every true church of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want us to ask ourselves this. What does this passage tell us about the gospel? What's the point? So I want us to continue on that road that was started last week because an amazing thing happened. But even as the human agents that God used in this event, uh, they took a step back and used it as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last week, what Pastor Tim preached on and talked about is the fact that a lame man was healed. And, and so I want us to go back to that, maybe if you weren't here last week or you just need a refresher. Uh, in Acts chapter 3 and verses 2 through 3, we see this. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. When he was there, uh, when he, uh, where he was put every day to beg those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And if you fast forward to verses 6 through 8, you see this. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he jumped to his feet and began to walk, excuse me, as a repeat. Then he went with them to the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. This was an amazing thing. And what, what they did in this moment, meaning they, the human agents that God used in this miracle, we need to keep in mind. Because as we get to this text in verses 11 through 26 today, we, we see this crowd, and this crowd was excited and astonished about this miraculous thing that had happened. But being excited about a miracle is not the same thing as being in Christ. And that's what I first want to look at, because astonishment and excitement about a miraculous event is not the same thing as embracing the gospel. Just not. Look what it says once again in verse 11. While the, the man, again, the, la the lame man from birth, held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Now, they were running because they were excited. I picture this like those old school, and really still, in some way, still happens, like black Friday blitz to the big screen TV. Or, maybe, 
It's the dolphins that you see when you visit the ocean. I'm like a little kid when that happens, seriously. I probably wouldn't be as excited about sharks, especially if I was in the water. Uh, but, but when we go to the ocean and we see dolphins, it's like every, the world stops around us. Or it's free pizza. I mean, whatever. Whatever you're running to, whatever is going to cause you to be excited. They were excited about this thing. Yes, my son is very excited about the mention of pizza. They're, they're excited and they run to what, what's called Solomon's Colonnade, which is just a colonnaded area along the eastern wall of the temple. But even in that, even in that excitement, right away, Peter and John say, whoa, verse 12. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Notice he says, fellow Israelites. He's relating to them. He's saying, I am one of you. I am of your tribe. And he says, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? Why are you trying to give us credit for something that doesn't belong to us? And this is, this is a very real point that we need to stop and reflect on. And this is not the only time this happens. In fact, if you were to go back to the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 17, you'd see something very similar to this. Now, if you're unfamiliar with or you need a reminder or just some context around this, uh, this is the, the famed Old Testament story of David and Goliath. So, so Goliath is a huge dude. That is Chris Gilmore's interpretation of the, the biblical you know, story around Goliath. He's a huge dude. He is a Philistine coming against the armies of God. He's going out and he's taunting them daily. And everybody sees this guy and is very intimidated by him and saying, we're not going to go out and face this guy. And then Enter David. And David, like, he doesn't hardly think about it. He says, I'm going to go. And, and as David is confronting Goliath, we see in 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, the following. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You see, the people of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, will point to the working hand of God at all times. David was unwilling to say, look at me. Peter and John were unwilling to say, look at me. They're saying, look at God. The apostles are giving credit where credit is due. Several years ago, a movie called Hidden Figures was released. It was released in 2016. Now, Hidden Figures is about Katherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughn, and Mary Jackson, who were three African-American women working at NASA, and they, they served as the brains behind the launch into the orbit of John Glenn. They were working as so-called human computers at the time. And it was called Hidden Figures for a reason, because for, at the time, America to put forth three African-American women, that would have been frowned upon. 
And now that story has come to light. It has been given attention. There's this whole uh, movement around it and just kind of bringing to light, like, hey, there were people that were involved in this that need recognition. It's, it's out there. Now, we don't know all the things that God is up to nowadays, right? We, we, we can't figure out all of His plans, uh, but we know that He's up to quite a lot, The God of the Bible of the Old Testament and New Testament is the God that we serve today, and He is at work. But we know that all that He does is centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what the apostles are trying to communicate to the people of their day. They're saying, it's not up to us. David said, it's not me, it's the name of God. Peter said, it's not us, it's God. And so here's my question for us, church. Here's my question for you. Do we give God the credit He deserves? Or do we steal it from Him? How easy is it for us to take credit for the good things that God does? It ought not to be that way. And it wasn't that way for Peter and John. So what does this passage tell us about the gospel? That in the midst of the miracle of the narrative of even Jesus on earth, there was also a very great and hostile opposition to who he was because opposition to Jesus Christ as the Messiah was never more evident than in a desire to release the taker of life versus embracing the author of life. Verse 13 once again. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and Jacob and the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. Notice once again, he says, he's appealing to them based on the God who they claim allegiance to. He says, the God of the Our father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. He's appealing to them based on the God that they claim ownership to. He's saying, you claim this God, but you turned over his servant to be killed. Verse 14, you disown the holy and righteous one and ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, verse 15, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Now, what is he referencing? You go over to Luke chapter 23 and verses 13 through 19, you see this. This is sort of the peak of Jesus' crucifixion, just before he is crucified. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and he said to them, You brought me this man as one, meaning Jesus, who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and found no basis for your charges against him. In your, and neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. The whole crowd shouted, Away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Jesus, the Messiah, Peter is saying, he was involved in creating life. He says he's the author of life in the book of Acts. And, and, and he was there from the beginning, sustaining life eternally, uh, now by his own sacrifice. And he's saying, look, you killed the author of life, and you wanted a taker of life released. 
This is what you did. And he says, and by the way, verse 15, we are witnesses of this. We know you did it. Our twins are four. And every time I meet somebody for the first time and we begin to talk about kids, I get asked the question, well, how many kids do you have and what are their ages? And I say, we have a 12-year-old and we have two four-year-olds. And then their immediate response, like every time, twins, wow. It's like we have aliens at home. And, and we have and still have uh, a camera in their room because they have what's called quiet time. If you have four-year-olds, the only quiet time is when they're sleeping. Trust me. If anybody's going to get a sound complaint in our neighborhood, it's going to be us. And so we have a camera in their room, and, and sometimes, I shouldn't say sometimes, very often one of them is doing something they shouldn't be doing. And, and, and very often, we, tr- we turn on the camera, it's an app on our phone, because that's what we do nowadays, you know, and we witness them doing it, and, and they deny it. And we're like, I saw you do it. I witnessed you do it. No, I didn't do it. I, I saw you. Why are you lying to me? And by the way, four-year-olds are terrible liars. And Peter is saying to them, You did this, and by the way, we saw you do it. Kenneth O'Gangle, who's a pastor and wrote commentaries, had this to say about this particular text. He said, as we study through the sermons and acts, we will find these early preachers moving as rapidly as they can to the fact and meaning of the resurrection. They saw him, they touched him, they watched him ascend into heaven. They were witnesses. And nothing could daunt their faith nor diminish their resolve to be his witnesses. So even as Peter is saying, we witnessed you do this, they're looking forward to the, the resurrection. So, so what does this tell us about the gospel? In this instance, and in this case, we see, we see clear and violent opposition to Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah. This is put before the listeners as a very real fact of their opposition to the author of life. But thanks be to God that the gospel is for sinners, and so are all of us, if you believe it or not. If you haven't met, I want you to meet Sully. He's going to be on the screen. Yeah, everybody say hi, Sully. Hi, Sully. It's weird because he can't hear you, but thanks for that, Mike. (laughs) Sully was from Monsters Incorporated and Monsters University. There's been some other kind of shorts and stuff on Disney Plus that go out about that. And I've seen that movie probably 6,000 times because all of our kids at some point or another have been into that movie. Uh, well, if you don't know, I'll give you a little uh, overview of what the original Monsters Incorporated is about. So there's these monsters, and Sully is one of the main monsters, uh, that are tasked by a company to go through little children's doors at night and scare them. And the reason they do that is they figured out a way to harness those screams from the kids into these tubes to power the monster city. And so, another thing about that movie is they have this narrative of, well, you don't, don't let a kid touch you because they're toxic. 
Now, if you've ever been around some dirty hands of a four-year-old, you might think that as well. But somehow, some way, this little girl named Boo, which is what they call her because it's adorable, right, um, escapes into the monster world and ends up with Sully and Mike Wazowski. I was nervous I wasn't going to say that right. Um, and, and ends up going throughout the movie with him. And Sully kind of adopts this little girl, you know, kind of as her caretaker. And they, they end up bonding over time. Well, towards the end of the movie, he's tasked with giving a scare demonstration. Uh, and, and it's in a moment where he doesn't really want to do it. His boss is pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. And so he gives this scare demonstration, and here's what he looks like. Next picture. That's what he looks like during the demonstration. And this cute little adorable girl in that moment sees him look like that and roar and she's terrified of him and as the movie progresses he sees the the still picture of what he looks like when he scares and he's horrified at how terrifying he looks and it's kind of like a light bulb moment for him And when Peter is confronting the fellow Israelites in this time, it would be too easy for us to say, yeah, they killed Jesus. Folks, we killed Jesus. Our sins sent him to the cross. And we can't say that we wouldn't have done the same thing if we were in their position. But we've also seen God do some pretty amazing things. He healed a lame man from birth. I've seen God do some wonderful things. The most wonderful thing he's done in any of our lives is redeem us, is cover our sins, is die on a cross and rise again. But I'm also astounded that the, of the way that God is working here. You know, there's a term probably not relegated only to sports, but it's called like next man up. Or next woman up. A player gets hurt, next man up. Next woman up. And even in our own church context, we've had to pivot at times because of this stupid virus we called COVID-19. Yes, I said stupid. Can I get away with that? I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say yes, you know. And, and so, especially the last couple months, right? It's like, well, this person got it and they had to go out. And, and And if you don't know, and I'm all clear, we're all clear, I haven't been here for weeks because it hit home with us. And and it's rough. That could have been much worse. But but when it hit home for us, here's how I saw God working. It's, okay, I'm bringing you guys some food. It's it's here. Here you go. Here's this. Uh, Here, here, we want to give you this. We want to do this for you. In fact, we had so many offers for food, and two of them were pizza, by the way, uh, so many offers for food, we had to actually start to tell people, no, we're good. We're good. And, and so even in our own lives, God has, God has showed up in some amazing things. But even as we think about here, like choir, that's awesome. Cohorts, the, the, the many people who are leading in and participating in that. And it's, it's been hugely beneficial for me. And, and, and really the thing that unites all of us, salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's us. 
That's us. But God demonstrates, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Why we were still sinners. Christ died for us. God has done and did some amazing things, particularly in the book of Acts. And that is something that they're addressing here. But they are saying to the audience, and I believe God is saying to us, that the miracles of God in and of themselves, they're never the points. The God of miracles is the points. The miracles of God are never in and of themselves the point. The God of miracles is the point. Verse 16. By faith, listen, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that, was com- that has completely healed him as you all can see. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, healed. Healed who? This man whom you know and whom you see. We talked in our cohort this last week, and, and, and maybe you did as well. I, I'm like a very visual person, right? If you've ever known somebody who's been lame from birth, like literally never used their legs, there's virtually no muscle development on their legs, right? And if you're in any kind of medical field and you understand what I'm saying, like, like I, I just picture something, right? I, I just picture not only this guy got up and walked, but there had to be like some instant muscle development, like. He could have cornered the market on supplements, right? But for him to not only get up, but stand up and, and walk and, and like jump and dance immediately, that's huge. That's amazing. And they're saying it's faith in the name of Jesus that did this, even in that they're pointing back to Jesus Christ and the gospel, not the miracle. One song that I really love and appreciate is Your Great Name. And I want to read for you some of the lyrics to this song. All the weak find their strength at the sound of your great name. Hungry souls receive grace at the sound of your great name. The fatherless, they find their rest at the sound of your great name. Sick are healed, the dead are raised at the sound of your great name. Jesus, worthy is the lamb that was slain for us, son of God. And man. But as we look at a text like we look at today, we need to understand something that we're trying to drive home constantly in the book of Acts. It's descriptive, not prescriptive. Don't let a passage like this shipwreck your faith. Because just because Jesus' name causes miraculous healing in this situation does not mean that God is obligated to do it in every situation. I would argue that the physical healing in this situation is not even the point. The point of it is to point to the name of Jesus Christ having the power to heal physically, but most importantly, reminding them and reminding us that spiritually, Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah that they had all been waiting for, these fellow Israelites. Look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 21. Speaking to the church, those who've received Jesus Christ, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed 
from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world. But it was revealed in these last times for your sake, through him you might believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. So what does this passage tell us about the gospel? It tells us so much. It tells us that the evidence of the power of the name of Jesus Christ points to the reality that he not only can do that, but he alone has the power to save. Healing a lame man, although he got the benefit of it, was not the point. The power to save, that power is singularly focused on the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Word of God is clear, church, that faith in Christ alone for salvation is an inescapable core doctrine of what it means to be a Christian. Look at what he says again in verse 17. Now, fellow Israelites, again making an appeal to them as, I'm one of you, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. Verse 18. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that the Messiah would suffer. There's tensions in the Christian life. Peter's telling him, like, you did this, we witnessed it, you were wrong, but by the way, this is what God planned all along. I, I have a couple older brothers, and one of them, like, he was always better at me than everything. So frustrating. So frustrating. Like, literally everything. I, I, could, I could never beat him in anything. So whether it was like a sport, he, was always, he could always run faster, um, his hair always looked better, whatever it was. And so my brother Rick taught me to play chess. And, and so, of course, I could never beat him. And so I remember uh, vividly playing him one time, and I moved, and I said, check. And I paused for a second. I'm looking at the board, and I go, mate, if you know chess, that means you won, and there's nothing they can do. And I spent like 10 minutes trying to convince him I did it on purpose. I know I didn't. He knew I didn't, but I really wanted to convince him that I had done that on purpose. The one time I've ever beat him in chess was completely on accident. What they did to Jesus was no accident. It wasn't like God had to pivot and say, oh, I got you, checkmate. No, God was like, okay, this is my plan. There's a tension. They acted, they're responsible for those actions, and yet God is sovereign. In other words, there's nothing that's done that's out of his control. And this was his plan from the beginning. Verse 19 and 20. Repent then. Repent, turn around, turn away, change direction, and turn to God. So that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that he may send the Messiah whom he has pointed for you, even Jesus. Turn from your unbelief, fellow Israelites. By rejecting Jesus, the author of life, and turn to him Embrace him as Lord. 
You rejected Jesus. You acted in ignorance. But receive him now. Peter is affirming the deity of Jesus Christ. What does this passage tell us about the gospel? Christ alone for salvation. Verses 21 and 22. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. He's taking them back to the Old Testament, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they say they embrace and reminding them of a few things and saying this is all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Verse 22, for Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. So let's see what Moses said. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. This is Jesus Christ. Verse 23. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. There are no exceptions in this passage. Receive or reject Jesus. John 14, 6, this is Jesus' own words. He answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, Acts 4, 12, which will be covered soon on Sunday. Salvation is found in no one else, meaning Jesus, referencing Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. In other words, there are no people who are exempt from this. COV, whether you're here in person or watching online, uh, there's no riding the fence with Jesus. It's, it's, it's yay or nay. You must be willing to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. The Jews rejected him. What do you have to say about him? I say, and I hope you would say along with me, Jesus Christ is the one and only Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of mankind. He came, he lived a perfect life, He died on the cross for my sins. He rose again. He ascended on high. He's reigning now. Jesus lives. The Old Testament and the New Testament agree on this reality, that the Old Testament passages, prophets, etc., point forward to Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Lord. Verses 12. Verses 24 and 25, as we think about what this passage has to tell us about the gospel. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and in the covenant of God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all of the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Again, he's speaking to them on a level that they can understand. All these prophets that you guys like, all these people that you follow on Twitter, this commentator on CNN, that's our modern day reality. All of these, all of these places, they're all pointing to Jesus Christ. And Paul even said in the beginning of his letter to the churches in Rome, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. 
All of this is about the redeeming work of Christ. The lame man was healed, so that would be an inroad to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to this crowd who Black Friday rushed them because they were excited about something really cool that had happened. This lame man was healed, but Peter said, this is not about that, this is about Jesus Christ. I'm going to read from you the words of a famed pastor by the name of Gardner C. Taylor, you may or may not be familiar with, passed a few years back. He said this, he said, in the life of a disciple of Christ, there are many aspects, qualities, features, which go to making up a character which at last can be truly called Christian. We know some of these qualities, these portions of our Christian personality. Some, says the book of Timothy, are righteous, godliness, faith, love, and patience and meekness in 1 Timothy 6.11. But I want to speak of another quality which I think must characterize and saturate all of, these other, all of these other traits. It is a quality of which I fear we are embarrassingly in short supply of. I refer to reverence, due regard for what is holy, an appropriate attitude toward the sacred. I think I must ask myself, am I reverent toward whom and what ought to be held in sacred consideration. Reverence is a hard word to define. It is much like what my mother used to say about her relationship to her God. She would say sometimes to me, I know what the Lord means in my life, but I cannot explain it. Ah, dear sleeping dust, almost always the things that are dearest are the hardest to explain. Reverence falls in that category. Charles Jefferson, who preached in Broadway Tabernacle in and which, alas, is no more, tried once to define reverence, only to discover that this word is not easily explained. Reverence is respect, but it's more than that. One may respect a bulldog, but reverence for such an animal is unlikely. Reverence means esteem or honor, but it means more than that. We may esteem or honor a famous athlete or musician, but we, other than groupies and fanatics, are not likely to bow down and worship such people. Now, reverence suggests something like bowing down and worshiping. Jefferson finally declared that reverence is respect and esteem flying in high altitudes. Reverence involves a deep movement of the soul, an emotion and awareness which touches our minds and our hearts and makes us want to confess and to give thanks. Many of us learned that the final law for Boy Scouts is a scout is reverent. Reverence means adoration, awe, and affection. It is a mixture of terror and love. It speaks of God and what is of God. But excitement is not reverence. And knowledge is not necessarily holiness. But acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as Lord, as the promised Messiah, the Son of God, who lived a perfect life, died on a cross, rose again, and ascended on high, and is reigning on high. That kind of reverence, that kind of awe, gave us this passage to focus our hearts and minds on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Knowing that faith in Him alone, for salvation alone, is crucial. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are and all that you've done. May your name be glorified. May your name be honored in and through us, the Church of the Valley. May you lead us to a deeper love and appreciation for who you are and how we are to become more like you. God, I pray for each person here or those who might be watching online. May they be in awe of you in your great name. We love you, Lord. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.